production of Pioneer Utility Resources. Story Connect, helping communicators discover ideas to shape their stories and connect with their customers. What can sled dogs teach us about teamwork? That's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Story Connect Podcast. My name is Andy Johns with Pioneer. I'm your host, and I'm joined on this episode by uh, Quince Mountain, who is a uh, sled dog musher and author. Uh, he's our keynote speaker here at the Nick Conference in Anchorage. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome, Andy. I'm glad to be able to bring some sled dog propaganda to this year's Nick. It's it's you know part of the Alaska State Constitution that every conference hosted here in Anchorage or even in the wider state, somebody needs to represent the state sport of dog mushing. So I'm here to do that for you. And part of that was true. Uh, the fact that I'm here to do it, it's not really a law, but I do think it should be. These dogs, people like them, and they have a lot to teach us about leadership. But let me ask you, how do you think that we figure out who's the lead dog? How do you think that y'all figure out who the lead dog is? Um, I mean, is it the fastest? Is it the strongest? Best vision? I could see a couple different ways to go for it. Okay. Are any of those right? Well, uh, those are all important things. Fastest isn't as important because we're talking about distances like um, I did a rod race of a thousand miles or Kobuk 440 race out of Kotzebue, maybe 400 miles, Yukon Quest 500 this year. Um, so these are longer distances. We don't need a sprinter. We need a dog with you know real mental toughness and confidence and they're they're able to relax on the trail and eat on the trail and sleep and get what they need and just run a real consistent race. You're looking for an ultra marathoner, not a sprinter. So fastest isn't it and not really strongest because it's not like totally a weight pulling event for them. I mean, when you divide up, you know, my sled and I all together weigh well under 300 pounds. When, when you divide up a a sled that's on plastic runners, um, between, you know, 14 dogs and they're all pulling. I mean, for you to pull a, a little sled with 10 pounds of weight on it isn't really very heavy. So um, it's it's none of those things. But I think there is this um, idea, like, um, you know, how, how much have you heard about alpha dogs? What do you think of that? Sure. I mean, you've you got the alpha and the beta. Um, uh, yeah, with wolves or with, with dogs, any of that. A, a little familiar, probably not as familiar as you, a little bit familiar. Yeah, so who's the alpha? The, the leader? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm obviously setting you up here, but uh, <laughs> all of a sudden you're looking at me and like, I'm obviously okay, struggling. <laughs> okay. No, that's good. You're not letting yourself go. It's true, though. Um, I mean, I think there is this idea, and I don't remember which Disney movie or book this was, you know, that the sort of meanest, toughest dog is, you know, the one at the front of the team, and they all duke it out, and they're, you know, but, but the... the um, what I call, I mean, I really call it the myth of the alpha dog has been debunked by the researcher who came up with the alpha dog idea in the 1970s. Oh. And, and the scientists said, now, wait a minute, you know, as scientists are want to do, sort of checked over their work and corrected it and said, now, sure. you know, we did this observational work, but it turns out that this alpha behavior that applies to dogs who are in captivity, which is to say that they're under stress, does not apply to dogs out in the wild. And when we've studied canines out in the wild, wolves, coyotes, foxes, you know, they're actually a lot more collaborative than we give them credit for. So, you know, it's funny, you know, people always will say, well, who's the alpha? And 
eh, I think that's like a human concept that we use to justify various ideas that people have about power and who to be in charge. But, you know, any of us who've been on teams know that um, if you're not that, that person, that sort of bully person, um, when you're in that group, even if you're not the person at that bully leader's kind of mercy or, or at their, you know, you're not their target, you, okay. you might be safe in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not paying attention to you or they like you or whatever it is. It's still not a neutral thing. It's still very stressful to be in a group where things could turn at any moment, where someone could just lash out at somebody. And, you know, there are certain people who call that leadership, um, you know, and they try to sort of control by, by this kind of unpredictability and, and keeping their power. And they're more worried uh. about maintaining power at all costs than sharing it. And then I think it's unfortunate that that gets called alpha behavior and attributed to dogs because dogs don't tend to do that. I mean, they're, they're a lot more dynamic and social that we give them credit for. So when they're out, um, I mean, they're working together as a pack to get resources, to hunt, to care for their young, you know, old, to establish territories, all these things. And I'm not saying they never have disputes sure um but you know it it is a lot more complicated and i think that you know in teams when when we work with people if you can create an environment where the 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 person on the team who's the sort of biggest outsider or the least well uh, you know the the one who might be might have trouble fitting in if they can be kind of called into the group and the group can kind of embrace them and work around it and you can all work together it makes everyone more productive not just that person i mean but I like you, know, that. you know we think of that one person like oh we're devoting a lot of resources to this one sort of person who's slower or not getting it or frustrating me for this various reasons or shows up late or has this bad habit um and i'm not saying you know don't pay attention to those micro things but um having an environment where you don't retaliate where you have a lot of clarity and and structure in your communication, you're meeting people where you're at, um, that will make the whole group more productive and safer. It is not just for that one person who's sort of at the bottom of the heap because there shouldn't be a bottom of the heap. There you go. I think that it sounds like that applies both for a a sled dog team when you're talking about four-legged team members or when you're talking about two-legged team members, uh, you know, whether it's office setting or, or whatever it is. Through your talk today, um, and, and uh, Quince did present at the, uh, the Nick. He was, like I said, the keynote speaker. Uh, Pioneer was um, uh, happy to sponsor uh, the book um, that he was uh, signing for folks today. The book is called Dogs on the Trail, and I, I, I'm assuming it's available for purchase for folks that, that want to go out on the internet and find it to buy it. It is, and, you know, I think it's a pretty cool book. A lot of photos. It's a kind of coffee table book, but it is a, a primer on dog sledding. And it follows a year in the life of our dog sled team because people are always saying, well, what do you do with these sled dogs when it's not winter? And it's like, we don't, they're not snowmobiles. We don't just put them in the barn and not think about them. They do stuff all year. Well, right, well right. why can't we show people what that is and, and what better way, you know, and this is a conference full of communicators. So it's been kind of cool to to bring that you know answer to that question here and say well you know no we just thought show don't tell here's what the dogs are doing all year those races that they're in for a, a couple months are a part of their year but that's not the whole story they have a lot going on and throughout their lifespan from from puppyhood to retirement and beyond they, they all have a role in our kennel and home 
So what you guys are missing since podcasts are in an audible um, medium, you're missing the dog pictures that we all got today. I know that was that was really popular with the folks in the session being able to see the pictures of the dogs. Uh, but what Shall are I s- send you some audio? Wait, let's splice in right here. Okay, leave it. I'm just going to send you some dog howls. <laughs> okay. We'll do some little howls. <laughs> this will be like an after-dinner howl coming up, and they, they tend to howl for mm, 30 to 45 seconds, usually not more than a minute, like about 20 minutes after they eat and they howl after after one group of dog leaves when one team leaves the team remaining at the kennel will kind of do a social howl and when a team returns from a run they'll often do a social howl shortly after and that's they're singing they're really into that and sometimes uh you know my wife or i will try to start a howl and i mean they do it but (laughs) you can just hear the criticism dripping from their voices like, like oh. who, I, I mean they have beautiful voices and i don't and um <laughs> I, you know i well anyhow so we're going to just splice in we'll splice it in okay here. yeah if you send i wrote down the timestamp. if okay. you send it over we'll just uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed hearing some uh, some nice dog sled howling in the yeah. background so yeah. Uh, getting back uh, to it, so if, if we're talking about more parallels, uh, what are some other parallels, and I know you shared some of them today, what are some other parallels that you have seen from working with your team out on the trails uh, that folks may see uh, working with their own teams of, uh, of you know, two-legged folks back in the office? Well, a big one, and I mean, it's just hard to overstate how important for the, the distance racing we do, you know, go going a thousand miles going 500 miles even if it's an expedition not a, not a race necessarily right but whatever it is whatever kind of project you're setting out on with your team the team can't always see the final goal they haven't always been where you're going but you are you know so in that sense you need to lead and with dogs you can't tell them in words okay peppy i need you to go they, they all want to run like they're running their first base, like they're sprinting. And I need to say, okay, we're not going to go 16 miles an hour out the gate or 25. But I need you to go like 9, 10 miles an hour. We're just going to take it easy because we're going to be jogging like hours, you know. And and so you need to learn to give the team cues. And, and, and it's really just building trust. They need to know that you're never going to ask them to do anything that you haven't given them the tools to do. So that... Even when they don't believe that they can do something, they just sort of know reflexively that if you've given them the task, they have the tools to achieve the task. If they don't, you're going to come in and make sure it works out, but you're not like micromanaging. You're not. And, and this is somebody came to me and shared that they were a little surprised by this, but that it was helpful. Um, a newer musher starting out will tend to want to encourage their dogs vocally and you know good dogs come on you can do it as they're going up a hill you know as though they're sort of at a at a baseball game encouraging a teammate to round the bases or something um but if you think of you know the experience of these dogs working to pull that sled up a hill or something something kind of challenging and they're hearing your voice, hearing your voice, but then now your voice is tired or you're doing something else or your focus is taken away and they don't hear your voice. That becomes a cue, right? They become reliant on it and, and you are over communicating with them and they need to learn that when they do hear your voice, do hear your feedback, it means something. So I might say no words, not one thing for hours. And then I might say, gee, which is turn right or ha, but they hear it. And that, 
is actually kind of re- relaxing to them, as funny as that sounds. And I'm not saying I won't give them praise or walk sure. up to them or stop them or, or, you know, maybe we get to the top of the hill and we take a little break and I go give them pets or a fish snack and they sort of know that they're off and that that's the time. But, you know, then when we really need to dig in and they have a question for me or they're unsure of themselves and I say, hey, let's go, then it means something, you know, but you can't do that all the time and it was funny to to hear this woman say that is exactly you know she said i have this new manager and that's exactly what they're doing they're over communicating and it's driving me up a wall because i can't i don't need praise for every email i send it makes me right. not trust the praise and then when it's right. not there what did i do wrong so you know it's something to think about too yeah that that's real and and that communication is where i was where i was going next because communication is such a big deal in terms of a, a, a business organization, a utility, and also on, on a dog sled team too. The, and, you know, with your support crew, all that, I mean, it's such a, such a big um, a part of it, no matter what you're doing, is that communication. Well, and on every level, right? And then on a, I mean, there's a level where the dogs and I are communicating with one another. And because they don't have great English and I don't have great dog their English is probably better than my dog but you know I communicate through these routines and they learn what to expect and they know that if I grab this certain bucket I'm probably coming with water and if I grab this other thing I might have some fish in my pocket and if I uh, am pulling out the harnesses it's time for a run and they're all barking and excited and if I don't have the harnesses with me and I have a shovel I'm just coming to scoop the kennel and they're not barking and excited they're just hey happy to see you very quiet you know all these ways that we communicate and they know but um but the other kind of communication that really makes our team possible in kind of a meta way is we have a really dedicated group of fans who has made what we do possible now we'll always have dogs we'll be able to care for our dogs and so on but as far as traveling around the u.s and canada doing the kind of racing we do i mean it's a really expensive proposition, I and we and we've had the 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 joy and wonder of all these sponsors who are so happy to be a part of it and and make that happen, you know. And that's um, people on Patreon are giving our team Braver Mountain Mushing. It might be two, three dollars a month. It might be ten dollars a month, and then they get these cool, I think, mailings a few times a year. Um, you know, they might sponsor a dog um, for a little more. And, and so that, you know, a large number of people um, contributing enables us to do what we do. And then they're a part of the story and they, they go to work and, you know, have something to talk about um, because they're like, they have a dog team, you know, that they yeah. truly made possible. And, exactly. and this is, you know, at the risk of getting long, but it, it, it relates to what you all do here because I see... Um, utility contractors, people doing communications, pioneer uh, stepping in to do communications or people who may not have their own comms team or may, may need resources to consult with, you know, and, and helping these co-ops. And um, it makes a big difference because we need to be able to communicate like what people are paying us for um, is to be a part of something, be a part of our team. We're not a charity. Sure. They're not... Uh, you know, the value is that they're a part of something and it's a community. And so we need to be able to send photos when we're out on a trail or videos and, and so on. And yet we're always in these rural 
areas, like where we do what we do. And right. so, I mean, it truly has come to like our home where we are has a utility that, you know, the power was recently out for eight days when we were told it would be three to four hours several times. You know, so you see that breakdown in the communication. Then we're losing our meat. We're losing our power and also losing our ability to communicate with our fans without going somewhere. Now, I realize right. storms happen, but sure. how you communicate about them. So then we go to this dog camp where we started training over the winter. It's in a more rural area, and we were up in Michigan a few weeks, and they have fiber, internet. They have the fastest internet I've ever had. It's like, well, why is this <laughs> happening in this more rural area? And, you know, sure enough, they have this uh, communication co-op, um, Hiawatha, Hiawatha Telephone, I think it's called. Yeah, up in the UP. Yeah. Oh, I'm familiar. Yeah. And incredible customer service, incredible service to begin with. I don't know how they got out there to do that. Um, it seems, you know, the people I talked to seem very affordable. And so, and, and those things are going to, you know, in the next few years, as people are doing more work from home, I mean, that makes a difference to yeah. who's going to live in the area. Like, Definitely. how long can we keep our team in an area where we have no ability to communicate? And I wonder, you know, you all listening to this work on messaging, how much are you working with, you know, um, rural development people and 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 counties and mm-hmm. uh, downtown development people and so on to, you know, I, I there has to be somebody I'm sure tracking the economic impact of sure. all this. But you know, for our little dog team and our two person business, I mean, it 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 has a tremendous impact the the utilities. I believe that. So the last question I had for you, going back to our previous discussion, I, I was reading on the plane on the way up here uh, a book. Um, that was uh, it was talking about nonverbal communication and how how you can say something to somebody, but if your body says something very different, they're going to perceive um, your body language more so than what the words you say. Oh, tell me Do- about it. Dogs dogs would seem to be the the ultimate experts in nonverbal communication. What what have dogs taught you about nonverbal communication? That uh, that you feel it works on humans, or, or has you know changed the way that you communicate uh, with other with other humans. Okay, let me back up and say, <laughs> I'm autistic. I'm face blind. I have okay. prosopagnosia profoundly, so I cannot read facial expressions, and I've had to learn to even have them. I grew up with a flat affect. Okay, and so it, this is like really hits home for me, Andy, because I watch a. Uh, political debate, for example, okay. and and I try to be, I try to always question my own judgments and assumptions, and not, you know, and I'll be like, who really, quote unquote, won this debate, you know, and often the the answer will be so clear to me, who performed better, who had the better answers, and to you know everybody else in the room, <laughs> it's like the answer's the opposite, and I'm like, what did I do wrong? And hmm. they are seeing these signals off the face or in the body language of how the person looks, and and I've also had to learn, like I I can't tell who is traditionally good looking or not in this kind of facial structure, facial symmetry way that's important to people. Um, and so I, I, sometimes I thought, why is that, why does that guy, why does everybody, what, what am I missing? And what he's saying is so interesting. And, and the, everybody, he gets called on all the time in school, mm-hmm. but I, I don't understand. And then I find out, you know, he's, got these you know model good looks but i couldn't tell um and so i had no idea and so in some ways i'm saved from those biases and it doesn't totally apply to me that i'm reading the verbal communication but in other ways 
And what the main thing that the dogs have to teach is like they study us all day or they sit there and watch so much and they're great conservers of energy. And when it's time to hunt, they will spring into action when it's hunt and hunt and sure. they'll go for that mouse or whatever it is or that fast chase. And when it's time to travel, they'll jog along and travel. But when it's time to rest, they all rest really well and they're watching and they're watching out in the distance and they're watching us and they're figuring out patterns and I think they are like the greatest um, students of human psychology I mean you know move over Freud or, or <laughs> right. um, whoever uh, and, and so Esther Perel uh, you know I, they know a lot about us and they often know what I'm going to do before I know it mm. uh, so it's been pretty cool to see but I, I like to think that I as a person in communications and as an autistic person who's had to kind of hack my way through some of these things and, and learn in a way that's intentional and not just sort of absently, you know, without trying sort of new, the signals other people are picking up on, you know, there, there's a way that that's become a good thing for me because, um, you know, you do learn to watch people and observe detail and often that, that can lead to things that other people might miss or that might be telling details. So, you know, you might, um, if you're in communication side in particular, you know, think like a sled dog in, in the sense that, like, you're, you're waiting and watching. Wait, wait and watch. We'll look for patterns. I think that's the title of the episode right there, Think Like a Sled Dog. So I appreciate that. I love it. I hope to do so well. Thank you, Andy. It's been so nice to talk with you. And thank you, Pioneer, for um, bringing us here in these books. And I, I got to meet, like, uh, a lot of you all who, who are doing work that, um, you know is hard and not always people aren't always thanking you like they might if you take someone on a sled dog ride but if it goes wrong <laughs> right. they're upset with you and you know I, I feel for you but if I if I don't go to my job you know the, the world doesn't end but uh, what you guys are doing is is you know a, a basic need for people and you're working in that and around that and so um, I really appreciate it and it's been cool to be a part of it and and see it and also this conference the Nick conference like what a warm and interesting and weird group of people. <laughs> I, exactly I, I'm right. going to have FOMO as I head out today. Uh, uh, I, fear of missing like, out. Yeah, there's like 20 people I feel like I could talk to more here. Um, so, and, and you being one of them. So I'm glad we got hey, a chance to connect. That. And uh, thank you. Yeah, then you guys may have heard a few of the folks in the background here throughout this. Like we say, um, uh, usually it's not it's not background noise, it's ambiance. So uh, but we're right here. Glad to be at the, the beating heart of utility communications in the uh, the Northwest uh, this week. He is Quint Mountain. He is the uh, not only a dog sled musher, but also an author. Um, we appreciate him joining us. My name's Andy Johns with Pioneer. And until we talk again, keep telling your story. Story Connect is produced by Pioneer Utility Resources, a communications cooperative that is built to share your story. Story Connect is engineered by Lucas Smith of Lucky Sound Studio. 